Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinock. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, friends. I'm your host, Alan Reinock. Today we're going to do uh, just a wonderful retrospective with an old friend and colleague. Richard Fulton has served as Director of National and Legislative Affairs for the American Jewish Committee in Washington, D.C. for more than three decades, and he's throwing in the towel. Retirement hits us all, doesn't it, Richard? It does, absolutely, and I'm already enjoying it. Let me just note, I've been with AJC over 30 years, but my current title goes back fewer years than that. I've held a number of different responsibilities over the years. for for Sure. Well, you know, what I'd like to do in our brief time together is just highlight some of the key issues that you've worked on and then allow time to look at, you know, your perspective you know, we've been partners in working on religious freedom and church-state issues for a long, long time. I'm here now in my 25th year. But as you look back, is there like a number one significant issue that uh, stands out in your mind? Yeah, I think today, certainly the issue of the parameters of religious accommodation, when is accommodation appropriate and when is it not in terms of applying with uh the law of the various kinds of laws, I think was for many years the issue I focused the most on, and I think it's even more of a critical issue today and one that's even more confounding uh, than it was when I started working on that issue many years ago. Well, when you say accommodation, you know, I mean, my bread and butter, an employment lawyer, is accommodation for people of faith in the workplace. And I've often pointed out that this really is the number one religious freedom issue that, you know, apart from people focusing on, you know, crosses on hillsides and, you know, Ten Commandments monuments and those sorts of things that are more symbolic, every day people of faith are losing their jobs because of a conflict with their religion. But when you talk about accommodation, are you talking primarily about employment or are there other aspects of it? It's primarily about employment, although it shows up in other places, of course. But let me take a step back from all of that, uh, because this is a, a retrospective. I want to go back to the earliest days when I started working on these issues, and I think there was a received wisdom that there was a liberal conservative split on establishment issues. You've mentioned a couple of them. There are other more profound issues, such as school prayer and the use of public funds to support religious institutions in the form of vouchers, or more recently, uh, the conflicts of providing funding to uh, sectarian social service providers. And, and it was understood that there was, uh, you know, that liberals tended to uh, go one way on these issues and conservatives on another, although it always was a mix. Uh, for instance, in the area of school prayer, uh, even Jewish groups that might have supported public funding of, of religious schools were very nervous about any prayer, any official quote-unquote prayer in public schools because they knew it wasn't going to be their prayer. So that was on the one hand. On the other hand, there was a lot of unity. There, there ought to be a, a strong, robust protection of people being able to be accommodated, not only in the context of employment, but more generally that, uh, you know, if the law was requiring an Amish person to put a, a garish 
orange triangle on their slow-moving vehicle, and that was seen as contrary to religious precepts, that there ought to be an accommodation to find another way to signal that this was a, a horse cart and, and slow-moving. Uh, so there were certainly other issues, and there was a lot of unity uh, between liberals and conservatives on the need to have strong protection of religious practice so that the state wasn't requiring people to violate their religious beliefs, which resulted in the passage, you know, by overwhelming vote of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, uh, back after the court's decision in Smith, which greatly weakened what we all understood to be the kinds of protections afforded under the Free Exercise Clause. So just to fast forward on that, we all know that that's just not the case anymore, that there's enormous conflict over whether the Religious Freedom Restoration Act was a good thing or how it should be understood, whether the court got it completely wrong in Hobby Lobby, in the Hobby Lobby case and all of that. And that led as well to conflicts over religious accommodation in the workplace, where initially we had a, also there a left-right coalition supporting legislation that would strengthen the ability of religiously observant people to, to have their faith practices accommodated in the workplace. And that pretty much fell apart soon after the support for the for RIFRA, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, fell apart. So I think that if I want to talk retrospectively about what changes we've seen, uh, one of the big changes we've seen has been the, the falling apart of this consensus on whether and how to provide a strong accommodation of the free exercise of religion. Well, and, you know, I would characterize it somewhat differently. I mean, we both lived through that. Um, you lived through the efforts to enact RIFRA in Washington, D.C., and I kind of came to the story in my position for the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in California when the battle was brought to the states, to state bills. And, you know, here in California, we had um, a broad coalition from the very far right to the ACLU and, and you know, everybody on the left and American Jewish Congress at that time, all working together on a religious freedom bill. But to me, it's more than just the idea of accommodation. It's the very notion of free exercise that, you know, was devalued in, in the smith Peyote case in 1990 by Justice Scalia's, uh, you know, opinion for the majority. And it's free exercise of religion itself, the very respect that was universally shared for our right to live according to our individual differences. But Alan, I think one of the things that makes it difficult is you will find people who are opposed to, you know, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act being enacted at the state level or anywhere else now, now opposed, though they might not have been back in those halcyon days. Uh, and some of them will really devalue religious liberty. I mean, it's only valued as long as it doesn't conflict with anything that they think is important. Uh, and of course, it, the only time it matters is when religious liberty uh, is asserted in response and brings to the fore values that people think are important on both sides. Uh, but the same thing is true on the other side, that you have some advocates, and us in that either of us in that category, but who are advocates for religious liberty who devalue the need to have, for instance, strong anti-discrimination laws that protect people whose lifestyles uh, they disagree with. So... There's, I think, been a failure on both sides to understand the importance of these issues, the very centrality of the core of identity on both sides, both as respects, uh, in this case, sexual orientation, and on the other hand, as respects religious liberty. And I think that's one of the great problems we see now. It comes out politically in a lot of other ways as well. 
uh, the failure of civil discourse and the failure to be able to understand what the concerns on the other side are. And that is why I think we've lost, one of the reasons we've lost that consent, ability for consensus as to what protection of exercise looks like and what a proper accommodation of religious practice looks like. You know, I think that's true. And, you know, our, our show is aired on Christian radio, so I'm going to kind of pick on the the Christian uh, myopia, if you will, in the sense that when when we who are Christians come from a worldview where we see homosexuality as a sin, it becomes very difficult for us to to see that gays have the same right or should have the same right to live according to their own values as we want the law and the society to respect our right to live according to our values. Um, that's the challenge, I think, that has uh, fueled the conservative side of the culture war movement. I have said for many, many years that uh, to the extent that the civil rights community devalues religious freedom in an effort to build up gay rights, they're devaluing the very foundation of, or the very principle of respect for everybody's right to live according to their own values and beliefs, that it can't be one at the expense of the other. I think that's right. And on the other hand, there are going to be times where because you've got conflicting rights, and I say conflicting rights in the sense that both are right, you know, religious liberty is a value, and not discriminating against people on the basis of sexual orientation is an important value as well. And somehow, uh, what we want, I, th- I should think, is a situation where people can live to the fullest extent possible, consistent with these core aspects of their identity. And on the other hand, we're going to have to recognize there are times that on either side, some leeway is going to have to be given uh you know, there's, there's certain acts of discrimination against people on the basis of sexual orientation that we shouldn't countenance. And on the other hand, we have to certainly religious institutions have to be able to function in accordance with what their what their values are, even if we even if we disagree with them strongly. Uh, but it's, it's a tough thing, and uh, it's a tough thing to reconcile. And that's really reflected in the kind of conflict we're seeing today. I suspect that as we look ahead. The, the main event going forward is really how do we as a society work out the ongoing conflicts between these conflicting yes. sets of rights. That's absolutely right. And I think it's the state of Utah, interestingly enough, passed legislation that's based on Utah's unique legal situation in terms of laws that it has enacted previously, was able to do a pretty good job of reconciling this. And in fact, there was an agreement between folks on uh, on both sides of this dispute, which we need to think about how those lessons can be applied in other states, if not at the federal level. The other thing I just want to mention is uh, we don't have to resolve everything all at once, which is to say, you know, you and I have worked for a long time on the Workplace Religious Freedom Act, which was intended to enhance uh, the, the protection of religious accommodation in the workplace. And it may be, even though as a matter of principle, it's somewhat problematic, that it's necessary to carve out those practices that are not as controversial, for instance, uh, a combination of holy days, of, of religious garb, of religious dress, which don't bring forward the same kinds of issues that other kinds of accommodations might raise. And, you know, there was an effort to, to carve out legislation that would address those points specifically. I'm hoping one of these days we can return, we can return to that. Well, yeah, you and I both have spent an awful large part of our career working on accommodation and employment. I count as one of my great successes getting that protection enacted here in California. Um, 
you know, as we're winding up our discussion, is there one signal accomplishment that you look back on that you had a part of that, you know, you look back on with pride? I do. Uh, And it's being part of the coalition that fought to ensure that when the government partners, religious institutions that provide social services, that there be appropriate church-state safeguards in place. And a lot of that was done. It was, you know, the, the moving force on this was Melissa Rogers, who was in the Obama administration, but it was with a lot of input from, uh, from me and my organization, from other organizations as well, in terms of carving out what that structure should look like so that the government can both partner uh, with those institutions, but so that uh, there's still protection against religious coercion and against religious discrimination by the organizations that uh, provide those services. And, you know, I think it was a, a really a signal contribution that in the waning days, of, waning days, I should say, of the Obama administration, uh, they passed uh, regulations in several cabinet departments that were directed at providing that, that kind of a structure. And that's in place right now. I don't see any indication that it's under challenge, and that's, that's a good thing. Well, you know, I would have thought that this went back to the, you know, the, the, the so-called faith-based initiative began in the Bush administration, I believe. So I would have thought some of these provisions were put in earlier, but you're saying they... Recent. Well, there were some in place, but there was there were those of us who were critical of the of the Bush administration's uh, approach. Not in all ways. There were a couple of things in there that that certainly were good, uh, but there was more to be done, and I think that was finalized. There's still one big issue, which is a minor of controversy, and that is whether a faith-based organization should be able to discriminate on the basis of religion and who it hires to provide the services, as opposed to discrimination with respect to receives the services. With respect to who receives the services, I think we have a good structure in place. The issue of employment still remains a, uh, a sore point for at least some of us. Our guest today, Richard Fulton, uh, we're celebrating his more than three decades career as an advocate for religious freedom at the American Jewish Committee. Richard, our friendship will remain and we'll certainly stay in touch. Listeners, this has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring.